So welcome to this week's Treasury Career Corner podcast, where I interview treasury professionals about their treasury careers. Each week, I talk to treasurers about how they built their careers, where they are now, and where they see both themselves and the treasury profession going next. In this week's show, I'm delighted to be joined by Chris Fulton, who's actually the CFO of Selendi and Gay. They're a high-powered New York litigation and law firm, which he'll describe much better than I can. But actually, Chris, until recently, was actually a treasurer. He'll talk through his career and everything else, but he's now achieved the role of CFO. I'm not going to give a quick overview of his career, as I have done sometimes, except to say, because usually at the end of a show, you say thank yous. Today, I want to do it differently. I want to say thank you to Chris. He was very kindly on our panel at the AFB conference in Chicago, end of last year. We didn't really get to catch up afterwards because he, you know, we were talking about investing in your treasury career and we'll get into some of that today. And Chris was very kindly a really great panel member, really enjoyed it. And we'll have a link to some of the speech with Chris's and my bits as well later on. But what we said on the show and on the uh, conference stage rather was that Chris had actually already become at the time the CFO of Selendi and Gay. Real life example, if you like, of a treasurer making the step from treasurer to CFO. Chris can actually describe that and maybe some of the choices he made so that can explain to you guys, the listeners, what you need to do. As always, enough from me. Let's get across to Chris Fulton. Let's kick it off, we would. Take us back to the dim distant past, bring us up to now, and, and then let's talk about a bit more about your role and everything else. Mike, thank you for the kind words. I appreciate you having me on the podcast today. When we talk about my career, past is the the right way to start it. (laughs) Out of university, I I, uh, I graduated with a degree in finance in Colorado and went to work for a a small publicly traded company called OEA Inc., uh, Ordnance Engineering Associates, uh, about $200 a year in revenue came in as a financial analyst. What I didn't know at the time that meant is that I was the only financial analyst in the entire company, which meant that I had a pretty good start to my career and that it was a publicly traded organization that did SEC reporting that had debt outstanding. So a very good broad background of of treasury accounting, finance, spent uh, three years at that organization. And and unfortunately, they were acquired by a company called Autoleave in 1999, which ended up insourcing to their finance department the role that I held. So I I transitioned away from OEA and went to a a startup telecommunications company. So I went from an airbag initiator and inflator company to a a telecom company uh, whose business model, Convergent Communications, was basically outsourced telephony, a business model that uh, ultimately didn't really work, a lease model. I went in as a a business development analyst, uh, which quickly turned into more of a financial analyst, treasury analyst, as they were bleeding cash and trying to come up with ways to to mitigate the cash burn, which uh, ultimately didn't work out. That company ended up going bankrupt, went to Quest Communications, where I was in their capital management group, had direct responsibility for one of the lines of business for capital budgeting, You know, roughly a $2 billion budget was my line of business. The entire, uh, the entire Quest Communications capital budget was about $9.5 billion. So that presenting capital results to the financial executives, uh, sitting with the managers, outlining their budgets, 
ultimately collaborating with the VP of Finance on post-merger integration type issues as Quest was going through a merger with U.S. West at the time. Uh, had been given some advice from a mentor at the company that I should probably go back and get my MBA uh, and then went to Duke University to get my MBA from the Fuqua School of Business. For the summer at uh, an investment bank in New York, that stint really uh, cemented for me the fact that I didn't want to be an investment banker long term and wanted to to stay in the the corporate space. Uh, so ultimately went to Avaya Inc., the spinoff from Lucent Technologies, their, their inaugural class of the finance leadership rotational program. Uh, and what that program was, you do six month stints in each of three departments. So I did a role within business development, which was basically the negotiation pricing related to the high revenue clients of the organization. So high revenue for Avaya was $10 million plus which ended up leading into redoing the pricing model. And at the end of that rotation, uh, managers from other groups basically bid on their financial leaders if they want to come into their group. Had the pleasure of getting pulled into the treasury department at that point in time, where I reported directly to the assistant treasurer. Uh, Great, great learning experience as Avaya had, you know, interest rate swaps, uh, FX swaps, did a lot of capital markets type work, uh, as well as the the normal blocking and tackling that you'll see in a treasury group. So the the cash management, uh, you know, the Sarbanes-Oxley work that was going on at the time. Spent six months within that role, uh, had a a fantastic stint within the treasury department, then moved on to investor relations. So that was the the communications with the sell-side analysts, the institutional investors, uh, helped to direct the quarterly earnings process. Uh, really got to dig into the weeds of prepping the CEO and CFO for Q&A portions of the earnings calls. So a, a really great exposure to to how publicly traded corporation works across the three rotations. As happens, inaugural class uh, of the first financial leadership rotational program, there was a little, a little bit of confusion around how people transition into full-time roles. So that 18 months became 20 months, which became 22 months, which became 24 months with still some uncertainty. So I decided to to leave the organization and go to consult. So Ernst & Young had reached out to me, uh, had seen that I had done some work in the Treasury Department, and I went to work in the Global Treasury Advisory Services Group of Ernst & Young. Uh, fantastic, uh, also a, a fantastic experience as well. I, I throw my my experience there into a few different buckets. Uh, one was Sarbanes Oxley. It was in it was in full swing at the that point in time. So it was drafting 404 narratives across different organizations and industries, uh, creating control matrices for for clients. Then it was Treasury audit support. So working with the CPAs that don't necessarily have a great understanding of Treasury, uh, what what you would find is that a lot of the the audit folks didn't know what a derivative was or didn't know what an interest rate swap was. So they wanted somebody with some treasury experience to come in and help with the audit of, uh, of those types of, of products in the treasury space. So they would pull in from the Global Treasury Advisory Services Group. And then there was the pure project consulting type plays. So that was you know, a foreign exchange trading company feasibility study, did a treasury carve out, a, a lot of assessment type work. It was a great learning experience because the average tenor of my projects were around two to three weeks, which 
meant that uh, I was constantly moving on to something else where I could create create change within an organization or help help the auditors. Unfortunately, I was on the road about eighty percent of my time, which really takes a, a toll on on you uh, as uh, as a, as an individual. When you're in consultancy, one of the other issues that I as well as the the lifestyle choice, you know, you've got to, as you say, live out of a suitcase, but a certain period you're building your experience so you can help. But one of the other frustrations I've got, and we're going to do a show actually in the future, we're talking about some of the guys who are in consultancy or what they do as consultants and things like that. But did you find the other frustration, which a lot of people said that they go in, they give a load of advice, help you bake the cake, they slice up the cake, and then they escort you out of the room and you look through the window and they either say, yeah, I don't like that cake, we'll have this one, or they take a slice of it and say, we'll do that bit, we'll leave the rest, or actually, we'll just see how it goes. What were the frustrations that came to you and how did you deal with those? There are some projects that have some immediacy to them, right? Okay. If you're, if you're going to come in and you're going to do it, if you're going to do Sarbanes-Oxley 404, if you're going to do a treasury audit, you know exactly what you're going to come in. If you're going to come in in more of an advisory role, hmm. there's nothing more frustrating than pouring your heart and soul into a, a consulting project and giving some advice and then finding out six months after the fact that they didn't take your advice and and maybe to, you know to your point they took a slice of the cake right yeah. or what's even more frustrating is if you don't know what they did right yeah. if you yeah. you do a project and you're there for 3 months and you leave and you just don't know if they implemented your suggestions because you've moved on to the next role within the organization so there or within your your consulting company I found it to be a gratifying profession, though. I, I think the fact that there's constant change, it makes it a fun role to have because you're, you're constantly on your feet. You're dealing with senior leaders within organizations. Where else could you go from being a finance manager to a consultant and you'd be presenting to uh, CFOs of, of very large organizations. You know, I, I, I did a project at a, a big automotive manufacturer where I had a seat at the table with the GC, uh, the CFO, the executive VP of finance, all roles that you probably wouldn't have exposure to that level of executive as a, as a manager within a, a corporation, I would think, yeah. unless it's a small corporation. And with learning-wise from that, you obviously developed over that period. Where did you go from and to as a person? You know, what did it give you for your treasury toolkit, if you like, would you say, from that period? A few different things. When you're thinking about confidence, number one, I mean, you're going from being a practitioner in treasury investor relations finance to pitching and proposing and presenting to uh, to senior folks and generally you know when you're when you're in these consulting companies a lot of the time you're doing these projects by yourself mm. or, or a, a small team so you as a junior to mid-level consultant are presenting to senior level folks within an organization that helps with regards to let's call it gravitas right the ability to convey a topic from start to finish to an executive second just the sheer learning you know i i I did projects at at financial services institutions at uh, commodity houses at public corporations 
private corporations, did a treasury carve-out, did a foreign exchange feasibility study, did uh, a natural gas hedging audit. How many times can you say that you did a natural gas hedging audit? There there just aren't that many companies that do that. So it gave me a, a, a very broad breadth of experience that, that, that carried me through the, the rest of my career up to this point in time, cool. because I, I ended up getting recruited from Ernst & Young to go be the treasurer of a video game company. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I ended up being the corporate treasurer of, of Take-Two Interactive Software uh, based out of New York. And that was a, a building process. So that was coming in and I was given a mandate by the CFO to create a, a foreign exchange policies and procedures to renegotiate the revolving credit facility, uh, redesign the the cash management programs of the firm. They had an international office as well as a domestic office that was setting up an in-house bank, improving the intercompany loan process and settlement process. So all of these lessons that I learned as a consultant, I I immediately parlayed into a a corporate treasurer role within, within the video game space. Unfortunately, about a year into to my stint at Take-Two Interactive, the economy fell apart, as you know. You had the the mortgage crisis, and Take-Two was under a hostile takeover from Electronic Arts. Around that time, I I got a call from a recruiter about an opportunity at a law firm, a big law firm based out of New York uh, named Skadnarp, Slatemar, and Flom, uh, which... uh, is one of the the five largest law firms in the world, and they were looking for a treasurer. So they uh, did not really have a formal treasurer at the time. It was their director of tax who was also serving as the treasurer, but her bailiwick was more of the tax space and not necessarily the treasury space. Mm. Came in with a mandate to create a treasury department. So when you come in like that, it's the blocking and tackling. It's it's looking at what's the lowest hanging fruit. They did not have a foreign exchange exchange program. They had way too many bank accounts. They needed to set up a a term revolver. So it was going through step by step by step and and fixing the treasury process along the way. So it was implementing an an FX auction program. It was rationalizing all the bank accounts so that you can concentrate your cash in a more effective manner. It was setting up a, a revolver loan that would get you past the downturn in the economy. While training my staff as the staff had been there for a significant amount of time and their background wasn't necessarily on the treasury side. So it was getting, getting them trained up, getting them um, comfortable in their new roles. So it's something as simple as making an individual cash manager. It was not something that was there before I, I came in a uh, fantastic organization. I spent 10 years at Skadden Arps uh, midway through. I, I picked up the financial planning and the, an analysis group within the firm. So that was the reporting to senior management, the budgeting process. Again, ARPS is a bottoms-up type budget. So it was going out and meeting all of the, there are 22 offices, so it was going out and meeting all of the managers within the organization. A, a fantastic way to learn the organization and to get out there and communicate with the other offices. And at the same time, you were getting a lot more involved in treasury. And when, you know, they're saying you, you weren't, but what I mean is, get involved in the AFP as well, or had you been involved in that already, or how did that come about? I'd been involved with AFP since I was a, a consultant, and that was um, at the direction of, of a partner within the Global Treasury Advisory Services Group. He, you know, it, I, I think there's something to be said about 
career development and credentializing yourself. And one of those mechanisms in the treasury space is getting the, the certified treasury professional designation. Uh, so I was given the advice to, to get this designation early into my, my consulting career as the clients wanted to see it on your resume. Obviously got more involved with the AFP at that point in time used uh, used the AFP quite frequently just for for questions that I had you know the AFP has a lot of a lot of content that's relevant to treasurers so mm. whether it be uh, you know whether it be an in-house bank country profiles articles with people that have done what you were inquiring about before uh, it, it's a great resource for treasury professionals so that was my first foray into into the AFP in around 2005 is when I first became involved with the AFP. And over time, that involvement has, has expanded ultimately to where I'm on the, the, the finance committee and the board of the AFP now. And looking at your role as it developed at Scadden, you know, as you say, you took on more responsibility and everything else, and then you made the move. How did that come about? Because obviously a lot of people made the move, Treasury, Treasury. Did you always want to be a CFO or, you know, how did that come about? It's the natural progression of your career. So I, I thought that I would like to take on that role at some point in time. Uh, you know, to be frank, I could have stayed at Scadden for the rest of my career. It was, a, it was and continues to be a, a fantastic organization that gave me a lot of responsibility, increasing responsibility as I was there. But, um, I, you know, I, I've, I've heard a few of your other podcasts and what you, what you see is a lot of a lot of folks that are fixing issues and problems and create it's essentially a, a consulting type project. You fix it, you move on to the next thing to fix, you move on to the next thing to fix. And at some point in time, you don't have as many things to fix. Yeah. Right. So, so you become a little bit complacent and, and things tend to slow down a little bit. So I think it was looking more for a challenge than not being happy in the the role that I was in, and mm. and nothing has challenged like coming to a, a a brand new firm that's looking to change the paradigm of of law firms, right? Uh, as a as a CFO in an organization that's that's growing significantly while uh, while growing while while building out its finance function. So I, I, I've uh, you know it's one of those things. Uh, I think you watch out what you ask for, right? Because <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm most certainly not uh, not bored anymore. And then there's a very challenge. And, and bored isn't the right term. I was looking for a, a challenge. And, and now I'm now I'm at the challenge stage again and, and looking to build out a, a world-class finance organization at a, a rapidly growing law firm. You mentioned we spoke before the show, Scadden obviously very well established, you know, a lot of stuff that you got involved in, got it fixed and everything else. But it's, it's quite different with Cylinder and Gay. Can you perhaps explain to the, the audience, because I found that fascinating, about how it's a different balance in, within the organization in terms of staffing and everything else. Perhaps just explain for the, the listeners, as it were. Yeah, uh, more than happy to. So Celindy and Gay is a, a litigation firm, uh, an elite litigation firm. Uh, we have about 100 lawyers, and we do both plaintiff and, and defense work. We're a, a majority women-owned partnership, which is uh, very rare in the law firm space. Uh, what you'll find is that, uh, obviously, the, the law firm space is a very, uh, very old profession. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, it, and it feels like that at most firms, but it doesn't really feel that way here as 
we're majority women owned. We 21% of our attorneys identify as LGBTQ. Um, so we've differentiated ourselves from the start by the way that we're structured. Hmm. We're also different in the way that we operate. We're giving our associates a lot more substantive work than you may see at a, a larger law firm, just given the fact that we are a, a small, nimble law firm that, uh, that does have 50-50 split of defensive plaintiff work. And, and these are large organizations that we're defending or we're litigating on behalf. It becomes a very good recruiting thing with regard to our associates and that we're committed to training and mentoring them as well as giving them uh, exposure that they won't necessarily get at the larger law firms. And you've talked there, and you, as you say, you've listened to a few of the others, the other podcasts we've done, but and this is something that came up when we did our speech at the AFP last year. What about your mentors and coaches over your time? What role have they played for you? I think they've played a significant role over the time. And, and that's part of why I've joined the AFP to, to give back as well as I have my own mentees. You know, I, I probably would not have gone to get my MBA without some heavy coaching early in my career. I had a, a senior finance person come to me and say, look, you're, uh, you obviously have the skill set that would parlay into moving up within this organization, but you do need to credentialize yourself. Mm. You do need to go back and get an MBA. You should go to the, the, the best school that you, you can. And we would love to have you come back after. Obviously, I didn't come back after, but... Yeah. You know, we, we had several discussions where we sat down and he can, he would outline how he made it to his place within the organization. And he attributed a lot of that to getting his MBA as well as getting some, some substantive work opportunities as a result of mentors. You know, I, I think at the end of the day, you, you try to put yourself in the best position with regard to your career and then it's also how you network or how you how you get pulled into to roles within an organization so you can you know i i got the ctp i got the mba but it was also uh, being at the right place at the right time sometimes you know when while it's scadden as the as the treasurer the the head of fpna leaves to go to another firm uh, rather than go out to market for somebody to run that group, I had done enough things internally to warrant picking up that that additional responsibility. So it's being visible, it's communicating, it's it's creating political goodwill within an organization. You know, obviously, uh, uh, ten years is a long time to to create political goodwill, and and you don't you don't necessarily like to lose that as you move on to a, another organization. But it, it was a, a fantastic time. And I, I think to, to take this back to your, your question, I, I think it's it's the mentors that say, and, and this is true of Scadden as well. My, my boss at Scadden said, look, I, when, I, when I told him I was going to leave to go to Slendian Gay, uh, he told me that I, I knew at some point in time you're going to move on to, to bigger and better things. It's mm. just, uh, and, and that was his expectation of me. And what was your, when, when you left, as you say, most recently, what, what did you leave behind you? What was your legacy, if you like? What were you focusing on? 
when you're leaving an organization, you want to just make sure that all of the issues are buttoned up before you yeah. leave. So I, on the FPNA side, it was making sure that all of the budgeting work was done so that the person that came in after me could do an adequate job of, of presenting the, the budget findings to the CFO as well as the finance committee within the organization. It's making sure that on the treasury front that you you have all of the documents taken care of, make sure that uh, any renewals that need to be done, the communication out to the entire organization. You know, fortunately over 10 years with 22 offices globally, I, I had a pretty good working relationship. So it was making sure that I communicated out to all of the offices and made sure that they were comfortable with the transition plan. Yeah, and fortunately, when you, when you work at a place for as long as I did, you, you build up friendships with the new organization. So I, just because I left doesn't mean I'm not a available for, for folks when mm. they need some assistance. So it's, uh, I, I think the legacy is that you want to make the organization better than, than it was when you got there. I, I think that I, I can say that I did that by, by creating a, a world-class treasury, as well as implementing a lot of improvements within the FPNA process, mm. as well as being a good mentor to your employees. I, I can say that I had very little turnover when I was at, at Skadden while giving a lot of substantive work experience to my employees. So I, I would have, uh, I'd bring folks into meetings with me. I would have them travel with me to the international offices just so they can see how the organization would work. And now you've made the move to CFO, what's that like? Oh, that, it's it's like drinking out of a fire hose, Mike. I'm, I'm not going <laughs> to kid about that. I, you know, it, it, it's it's kind of interesting. It's because this is a, a relatively young firm that, that I'm at, uh, but it's a young firm made up of partners that come from uh, very prestigious, large law firms. So uh, they 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 are high profile attorneys that are expecting a world class organization, and and we're building it. So it's, uh, I, you know, it's trying to staff up to an appropriate level while implementing the correct systems and, and processes while, while dealing with fire drills. So, you know, it's uh, in, a, in a place like my, my prior firm, you have a large group that's dedicated to billing. You have a large group that's dedicated to accounts receivable. You have a large group that's dedicated to accounts payable. And you have a treasury department, an FP&A, a management reporting department. Here, that is uh, is me. So, uh, <laughs> you know, so what that means is, uh, but but that's that that's also a, a good thing in that my uh, my days fly by. I have a very very competent staff who's getting a lot of exposure that they wouldn't necessarily get at a larger firm. And as we grow, this is only going to make us stronger. Looking at yourself and your career you know people we said this before if people want to connect to chris you can by his linkedin profile but whilst you're on there you know make a note of some of the moves he's made and some of the other things and as we you know come towards the end of today's show what would you say stands out for you you know you talked about the mba but what would you pick out for people to say look this is what you need to do to copy me to emulate your career as it were and some of your prior podcasts, a lot of your folks talk about, about networking. I, I, I think there's, I think there's something to be said for that. I, I think, um, especially with, within industries like, like the one I'm currently in, there are, are so many opportunities to be involved in roundtables. Uh, 
whether there's a controller's round table, there's a finance director's round table, there's a treasurer's round table. Mm-hmm. And, and as you get onto these things, you, you meet other folks, other like-minded folks within the industry. And, and it's a very small world, right? So as, as good opportunities arise within the industry, um, these folks start reaching out to you and say, hey, would you be interested in this? Or you'll have firms directly reach out to you as uh, they know they've they've seen you, right? They've seen you sit down at a finance director's roundtable uh, and, and they like what you have to hear. So I, I think, one, if within a specific industry, I think if you get involved within whatever, whatever the mechanism is for meeting other like-minded folks within the industry, I, I think you should do that. Uh, obviously, getting involved in a large organization like the AFP uh, is is very beneficial to your career as well. I mean, you you have the opportunity to, and Mike, you've been at the AFP several times. Yes. You've, you've got you've got several thousand people from a lot of different industries that that are there at, at a conference for three, four days. And, and it's great just to sit down and, and meet with some of those folks and just talk about that industry and, and what are the best practices. And you can take some of that back into your own, your own organization. So I, I think at the end of the day, it, it, networking has, has, has done a, a very, it's been very strong within my, my career. Um, because a lot of the jobs that I've, I've gotten, you know, my last three, 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 four jobs from, from EY on were, were all referrals from somebody else who just happened to, to know me in in some other capacity and said, Hey, this guy would be pretty good for this role. Have you reached out to him? And they reached out to me. So it's, uh, I, I think I'm living proof of the fact that you, you, uh, if you build a strong network, it starts to pay dividends. And I'd love to take uh, credit for this really great networking tip about business <laughs> cards and things, but I'm not. I'm going to give this totally to Chris because it was a really good one. It's something I do myself, but he actually brought it up in one of our conversations when Craig and I were talking to Chris and pre-briefing ourselves for the conference uh, speech and everything else. And Perhaps if you could, for the audience, it's basic, it's simple, but people don't do it. But about the business conversation of the business card can you just for the listeners you know explain what that is yeah absolutely mike uh so when when i'm talking to folks and if they give me a business card if you've if you've had a meaningful conversation with the person hmm. I, I take notes on the back of the card and then i'll file uh, obviously I, I keep a a card uh, a card folder here that uh on the back I'll, I'll take notes of their you know their name their spouse's name if we talked about their kids names uh w- what their their history is just little blurbs of what uh what could be a differentiator when you talk to them the next time and and obviously uh if you if you put pen to paper, it, it helps you from a memory perspective as well. Yeah. Um, and I've found that that's been, that, that's been worthwhile throughout my career as well. And you went, the great thing that I found about it, you know, when Chris and I talked about it, you talked about where the kids were going to go to college or whether you could help them or, you know, perhaps make a recommendation about somewhere to go to eat if they were mentioning it. I thought, wow, that's actually, because it was actually uh, constructive but it wasn't divisive. It wasn't just like, oh, yeah, what can I do to, you know, network and just use this for myself? It was actually that idea of giving out, giving back to people, first of all, seek to help help out people, and then you'll get stuff back. And I think that really came across just from that little tip. So I think the listeners should should do that. 
that will pay all the dividends in the world, Mike. I, and this is true of, I, I, especially in the treasury space, you, you build up a lot of relationships with your banks. And, and what you'll find is that banks, given that they're concentrated in specific, well, at least the bankers in specific industries or specific size of, of companies, that they, they tend to, to know a lot about these organizations. And they tend to know a lot about uh, jobs that are coming up or, or potential jobs that are going to come up. Uh, and they tend to be very... Uh, for forthcoming with that information. Mm. So what I've what I've found is that they like it when you get a little more personal with them. They like it when you're you're friendly with them. And I, I think again, I'm going to go back to to earlier podcasts that you've had. I, I know that one of your your podcast uh, your podcast attendees uh, she she got her job as a result of a banker reaching out directly on her behalf because they had built up a strong relationship. Yeah. So I I think that. You know, at least from a, a treasury career perspective, it's at the level that that you're a treasurer or a CFO or an assistant treasurer, you, you need to build strong relationships. Hmm. Anything else that you want to wrap up today's show with and you want to be a CFO, what, what would be the one standout go away piece of advice? Oh, boy, that, that is a, an interesting question. It's a million dollars. <laughs> Well, I, I think you need to make it clear that you want to move up within an organization. So I, I, you you need to you need to be front and center and asking for for additional responsibility mm. w- within an organization uh, first and foremost. So uh, e- even at my my prior firm, it was hey, I, I was a treasurer, but I was looking for a, a broader role within the organization. Uh, that's how I picked up FPNA. And when you pick up FPNA, you get a broader understanding of of the organization as a whole. You go out and, and visit all of the offices. You get more visibility within the organization. That visibility may not necessarily parlay into a more senior role within that organization, but it it, it may within another company within that industry subcycle or a, a subset of that industry, right? As an example, when I sat in on the finance director roundtables, uh, they know that I do FP&A. They know that I've I've implemented systems, financial systems, as well as the treasury. So you've already got the skill set that's that's there for a CFO. It's just a matter of somebody coming and reaching out to you. Great advice. As I said to you, the guys before, what we'll do is we'll put in the speech notes uh, in the show notes, which is there from which we gave. Chris was very kind to be on that at the AFP. We'll put in Chris's link to his LinkedIn. So if it's useful for both sides, then connect up with Chris. But as always, thank you for an amazing one. And um, yeah, if you guys, if you want to be a CFO, just follow all the advice you've been given today. So I think it's been a great podcast. So thank you very much, Chris. Appreciate your time, Mike.